Would you pray with me one more time before we go to God's word? Father, we need your help right now to see and behold how the cross of Christ shows us what it means to be unashamed and shows us what it means to suffer well for the sake of the gospel. Without your spirit at work in us, we will not be able to see these things. And we will not be changed into the image of Christ. So we ask, Father, now as we go to your word, that your spirit would take your word and plant it deep down in our hearts and cause it to bear much fruit for the glory of Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning, we are in our second sermon in the series on the book of 2 Timothy, or the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Last week, as I preached kind of The purpose of the whole book together, I said the main point of this book that we're going to see as we walk through it is the call to leave a legacy, leave a gospel legacy by sharing in suffering for the sake of the gospel. To leave a gospel legacy by sharing in suffering for the sake of the gospel. I think verse 8 is probably the, if Paul would have a main point verse in 2 Timothy, it would be verse 8. And everything else flows from and informs and undergirds what he is calling Timothy to do and us to do as well. And so that's the verse we're going to focus on today. I sent out a message a little while ago as I was starting to prepare for this series and asked what it means for us to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because we think often of suffering for the sake of the gospel in terms of persecution. In other words, Paul was drug out of the city of Lystra and stoned and left for dead because he was preaching the gospel. Or there was riots because he was preaching the gospel and they tried to take him and kill him and the Roman soldiers had to rescue him from those. Or he endured imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. And so we don't see that in our country, in our setting right now. We don't experience being stoned for the sake of the gospel. It is unlikely that an angry mob will come through the doors and drag me out into the parking lot and try to hit me with rocks until I'm dead. So what does it mean to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel? I thank you, those of you who were able to have time to respond on Facebook. The things I heard were similar, and from other conversations I had, were similar to what I anticipated and even saw in my own heart. That I don't know what it means to suffer for the sake of the gospel in this context. I can think of suffering in terms of physical persecution, but I'm not sure how I suffer for the sake of the gospel. Maybe a good way to summarize what I've heard is I've suffered, but I don't think it's for the sake of the gospel. I don't know how it connects. And that's not uncommon, but that leaves me with the question then, can we share in suffering for the sake of the gospel? Should we? And I think Paul seems to expect that this is a call not just for Timothy in a hard church setting, but a call for all Christians to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Listen to what he says later in 2 Timothy, which we'll get to when we get there in the text. But I just want to read it for us now. 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 13, he says this. After talking about his stoning at Lystra, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you pursue godliness, you will endure suffering for the sake of that godliness. 
Why? Or think about what he says in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Listen to what he says to the churches as he goes through. Paul is going through encouraging the churches. And Luke records for us in Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is to be expected, right? Jesus even said, if they treated me this way, and you're my disciples, they're going to treat you this way. In John 15, verses 18 to 21. So the question that plagues me then, and the question I want to wrestle with this morning, is, was I and were you simply born in the wrong place at the wrong time to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel? Can you not share in suffering for the sake of the gospel because you live in America in the 21st century? That's the question I want to wrestle with. Obviously, I think the answer is no. And I want to walk through this text and look at suffering and shame in light of the cross and help us see how this call to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, to be unashamed of the testimony of the gospel, is a call not just for Timothy and for persecuted Christians across the world, but is a call for us right here in southern Minnesota and northern Iowa. So we're going to wrestle through what it means to have shame and suffering and how the cross of Christ impacts those. The main point I want to get across, the main burden, is I want us to see that it's the cross, not our culture, that must shape and define our understanding of shame and suffering. And often, it is not. Often, our understanding of shame and suffering is defined and influenced more by our culture than by the cross. That's what I want us to see today. Today, we are really just going to camp in verse 8. And talk about shame and suffering in the cross. Next week, we're going to take all the rest of the good gospel-centered stuff that Paul says in these verses. And we're going to unpack it and see how we share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And how Paul gives us an example of how that works. But today, we're just going to focus on shame and suffering and the cross. So first, Paul starts, verse 8. Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. We're going to start where Paul starts, with shame. First thing I want us to notice is that Paul writes, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, because this is a real danger to Timothy, and a real danger to Paul. And a real danger to saints everywhere. Shame over the context or the content of the gospel. Shame over the testimony of our Lord. And shame over others, the Lord's prisoners, is a real danger and a real temptation. What this means is you are not alone if you find some of these things that we're going to talk about ringing true in your life. They probably rang true for Timothy as well. It is a temptation to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of the Lord's prisoners. 
How is it a temptation? How does that work? I would want to just walk through some examples, some ways I think that this manifests in your and my lives. First of all, being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This one might be the easier one for us to comprehend, right? We're familiar with being ashamed for the, of the testimony of the gospel because the testimony of the gospel contradicts our culture, right? We live in a culture that rejects God as creator. A culture that Paul says in Romans 1 suppresses the truth, exchanges the glory of God for the glory of created things, and worships creation rather than the creator. So if you come and assemble on the Lord's day and worship the creator rather than creation, you're going to come in conflict with our culture. You're going to come in conflict with a world that hates God. And so the testimony about our Lord conflicts with culture. A culture that worships tolerance, but finds it intolerable to have any kind of truth claim. In other words, if you claim to worship Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and you live in a culture that says there are many ways and many truths and many lives, you're going to come into conflict with them. You're going to experience that conflict, and that conflict may drive you to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You may be tempted, as I'm sure many of you have experienced, to go along to get along. Especially in relationships that you particularly care about. Maybe it's a family member who rejects God altogether. And you know that if you talk about God and the gospel, there's going to be conflict and strain on the relationship. Or maybe it's at work where you know if you don't agree with what your manager or others say about reality in ways that conflict with the gospel, that you're going to experience hardship. And so you're tempted to go along to get along or to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. It's not the only way this happens, though, is it? Think about it this way. We may be tempted to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord because the testimony calls us to live as sojourners in a world that's not our own. We're called to live by different norms, what I would call the norms of the kingdom, which is just godliness. We're called to live by godliness. And godliness looks different, doesn't it? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, Peter's talking to these elect exiles out in the dispersion, out amongst the world, who are trying to live differently than the Gentiles do. They are rejecting the licentiousness, the sinful pursuit of self-pleasure of the Gentiles. And what's happening? Those around them that are engaging in those things are maligning them, putting them down. Maybe you've heard it this way. You just think you're holier than me, don't you? You just think you're better than me because you don't, you don't participate in the same kind of sinful behavior I do. There's a temptation to be ashamed of the testimony because it calls us to live differently. I think children of families that live in light of the kingdom of God experience this in some unique ways, don't they? If your family rules and your family norms and patterns are different than your friends because your family follows Christ and your friends' families don't, you're going to experience that pressure to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You're going to be tempted to either compromise and go along with the sinful behavior of the world, or you're going to be tempted to hide, 
to withdraw, to be ashamed. I think one of the main ways that we can easily miss that the testimony of our Lord in this world can tempt us to be ashamed of it is that the testimony of our Lord says that we are sinners saved by grace. When you confess the gospel to those around you, you are saying, I am a guilty sinner. We don't usually like to do that, right? We don't like to drag our name through the mud, it feels like, with our friends and our family and say, we are sinners saved only by grace. No one likes admitting guilt. And it's even harder in the midst of a world that does not understand sinners saved by grace. Right? There's no, there's no category in the world for sinners saved by grace. There's guilty and despicable and despised. But there's no sinner saved by grace. And so to confess the testimony of our Lord that I am a sinner makes me uneasy and tempts me to be ashamed of the testimony. There's a temptation to try to hide our guilt, to look holier than we are sometimes. This is why the church is justly sometimes accused of hypocrisy. It is hypocrisy to pretend to be holy when you are not Pretend like it's your own actions that bring you holiness. It is not hypocrisy to be a sinner saved by grace and say your holiness comes not from you, but from Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do, but the world doesn't have categories for that. And so we're tempted to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Sometimes, as Paul alludes to when he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Sometimes, We're okay with Jesus and we're okay with the content of the gospel, but it's the other people that follow Jesus that we can be ashamed of. We live in a culture that will quickly cancel you if you speak contrary to the culture. If you contradict the claim of a man to be a woman trapped in a man's body, you will be rejected by our culture. And the new prison is not a prison with bars, but a prison of ostracism. A prison of canceling your relationships. Possibly even losing your job. Depending on where you work and what you do. This public testimony can create chains that we can be ashamed of. We can be shy to align ourselves with someone who's saying those kind of things. Because we can know the cost it will bring us. We also deal with the reality that the bride of Christ is a body full of sinners, full of broken people. And we can be tempted to look at Christ's bride and think, man, she's ugly. You know what? Sometimes that's true, isn't it? But Christ does not find his bride ugly. Christ does not find our brokenness repulsive, but an opportunity to magnify his grace and mercy towards us. But we can be tempted because we find our ugliness repulsive to despise and be ashamed of others in the body of Christ. Friends, what this all, these all have in common, and we could multiply the examples more and more and more. What these all have in common is that these all are letting our culture and the world dictate what is shameful. These all have in common that they are letting our culture the world, dictate and define what is shameful. And we must not 
let that happen. We must not let that form our view of what to be ashamed of. Our view of what to be ashamed of and what is honorable must be formed by the cross of Christ. Jesus, his cross, reshapes our understanding of what is shameful and what is honorable. The cross teaches us, first of all, to expect that the world will find us shameful. Jesus was crucified. This cross behind me is not a positive religious symbol in Rome. It's a sign of shame. It's a sign of curse. It's a sign of being despised. So it is understandable if we follow a crucified Lord that shame will come along with that from the world's perspective. Furthermore, the word of cross, the word of the cross, as Paul writes in Corinthians, is foolish. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. Actually, I'll start in verse 26. Paul writes this. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But listen to this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I debated how much of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 to read because really we could read the whole of chapter 1 and the whole of chapter 2 because that's what it's all about. How the cross of Christ seems foolish to the world but is actually the wisdom of God. How the cross of Christ seems shameful to the world but is actually where God reveals his glory. If you want to learn more, read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. So the cross teaches us to expect shame because that's the very shape of the cross. But the cross also teaches us what is true shame. True shame is rejecting the word of the cross and declaring yourself God. Worshiping the God of your belly as Paul writes in Philippians 3. True shame is doing that. True glory, true honor is obedience to Christ Jesus Obedience to the word of God as Christ showed us in his obedience. Philippians 2, 8 to 11. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most shameful death of the time. What did God do? What was God's response? Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God took the shame of the cross, the worldly defined shame of the cross, and exalted the name of Jesus through it. That's true shame and true glory, true honor. And Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Do not be ashamed of the word of the cross or those who proclaim it. But, he says, do this. Share in suffering for the sake of the gospel 
by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Brings us to how do we do that? What does that look like? If we can't be in positions where we experience physical suffering like we think about. First of all, we suffer by bearing the reproach of the gospel. The shame that Paul talks about, there's a reason he starts with don't be ashamed of the gospel because bearing that shame from a worldly perspective does lead to suffering. It is hard. It is a heartache to experience that, to walk in that and to persevere, believing that the word of the cross, even though it's foolishness to the world, is the power of God to us. But secondly, Secondly, we share in suffering. We suffer because we don't belong to this world. As we walk out living for a different kingdom, as we act as sojourners, we experience the pain and heartache that comes from homesickness. We experience what it is to be a stranger and an exile, to be waiting for a homeland, to be waiting for the kingdom of God to rule on earth as it is in heaven. And as we live by the norms of this new kingdom, we experience suffering because we are called as God's people to respond differently than the world to our circumstances. I think this manifests in our response to people who commit injustice against us. The world's response to injustice is I'm going to strike back I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it fair. I'm going to make sure they're punished. I'm going to make sure to win and to protect me and mine. The world's response to conflict is to either push in and fight or to run away if you realize you can't win or to try to work it out as long as the other person is trying to work it out. But that's not what we're called to as God's people, is it? What we're called to as God's people is not to hide or to strike back, but we're called to love, to bless those who persecute us, to love our enemies with the love that we were loved with while we were enemies of God. That living in a different norm testifies to the kingdom of God. It manifests the reality of the kingdom. Remember last week I mentioned we are kingdom outposts. Where the kingdom of God, the new reality created in Christ Jesus, shines through. And that creates suffering for us. That creates hardship for us. That is suffering for the sake of the gospel as we manifest the kingdom of God. Not only that, but we suffer because we're one body. Paul says, share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, which means with one another. In the Midwest, we don't share in suffering very easy, do we? Our response is, I don't want to burden you. And I don't want to be burdened with your burdens. Right? Don't ask, don't tell when we are suffering. I will bear it myself, and you will bear your suffering yourself. That's our typical response culturally. And yet we are called to be countercultural. We are called by God to suffer as we bear one another's burdens. I visited a fellow pastor, some of you know Adam Pullman, 
and Molly Pullman. Adam is pastor of Redemption City Church in Rochester, fellow TCT Church. Right now, they're going through a very difficult pregnancy where their baby, Ethan, has many, many challenges. Brain deformities, heart deformities, things like that. And they are trying right now, even as they're waiting for him to be born, to plan his funeral. We are called, as the church of God, to bear burdens like that together. So I visited him on Wednesday. Talked to him about how he was doing and how his heart was doing. Prayed with him. Bear that burden and that suffering with him. That is completely contrary to our culture. That says, I'm not going to get invested in that. I'm not going to pull into that. We are called to bear burdens for one another. We are also called to suffer by sharing our burdens. It is risky to tell someone else, even in the church, unfortunately, when you are suffering. Because they might lean in and they might bear it really well. But they might not, right? They might sin against you. They might hurt you. But we are not called to lean in and share our burdens with one another as long as it's safe. We are called to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Manifesting the gospel. Why do we do all that? Why do we bear one another's burdens? Why do we share our burdens with others? Because we are manifesting the reality that Christ has made us one body. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. And again, you want to know more about one body, the second half of 1 Corinthians 12 is where it's at. But listen to what he says in verse 26. After he's talking about one body and how the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no use for you. We're all joined together in Christ. He says this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are called, friends, to suffer for the sake of the gospel by sharing suffering with one another. To manifest that reality. Not only that, not only that, but we're called to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel as we join in relationship with sinners. Because here's the reality. As you reach out and try to love your neighbors well, and as you try to get to know your coworkers, and as you try to manifest and not be ashamed of the testimony of the gospel you will encounter some pretty wicked sinners who will hurt you. Paul even recounts some of these guys who hurt him and did him grievous harm as he tried to share the gospel with them, as he tried to even disciple them. As you come in relationship with sinners, you will suffer. That's the reality. That is countercultural because what does our culture tell you to do? Avoid toxic people. Don't, don't be in relationship with those who are going to cause you suffering. That's unhealthy. That's not the gospel, though. That's not the gospel. We are called to lean into relationship. Jesus came for sick sinners, right? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. I'm here not to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. And as Jesus sends you out, 
as missionaries to proclaim the testimony of our Lord, he calls you to go to the sick. And that'll hurt sometimes. Sometimes it'll be really fruitful and you'll see a lot of gospel gains and you'll praise God. You'll be filled with joy. And other times you'll be pouring into someone and they will stab you in the back and that will hurt like a son of a gun. That's suffering for the sake of the gospel. That's countercultural. that manifests the reality of the gospel. It is a powerful apologetic and testimony to the gospel. If you turn towards someone who the world turns away from, it shows that your heart is truly changed by Christ and that you truly believe what you say you believe. All of these, friends, I think, are things you probably experienced, right? I'm sure we've all experienced broken relationships. I'm sure that we've all experienced bearing one another's burdens together. I'm sure that we've all experienced the feeling of unease that comes from trying to live out the kingdom of God here on earth. The challenge, I think, for us, what I want you to see is that we don't often connect these forms of suffering to the gospel. We don't say, bearing your burden together, that's suffering, that's hard for me, and that's because of the gospel, right? Or, Bearing with one another in love, in broken relationships, that's part of the gospel. We don't connect it to the gospel testimony. We don't see it in light of the cross. And friends, we need to. That's what Paul is calling us to do. Share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. We need to see it in light of the cross, and that changes things when we do. Seeing our suffering in light of the cross... A, makes us not surprised by it. We don't seek out suffering as Christians, but we expect suffering because we serve a crucified Savior, right? We expect suffering because we follow the suffering Savior. Not only that, though, the cross itself gives context and purpose to suffering that the world can't bring. The world can't explain why suffer. The cross, though, puts out something before us. Jesus The author of Hebrews writes, suffered and endured the shame of the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. That's what we're called to do too. We're called to suffer for the sake of the gospel because of the joy that's been set before us. What is that joy? That's the joy of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. That's the joy of eternal life with him. That's the joy of the kingdom of heaven. We're called to suffer for the sake of that joy. And our suffering then acts as a seal that says what we believe, we believe it's true. And we believe it's worth dying for. And friends, that testifies to the reality of Christ Jesus. If you're not willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel like this, if you're not willing to testify that you believe what you believe, do you really believe it? That's what the world would assume, and I would assume that too. And I think fairly, right? We are called to share in this kind of suffering. Not only that, though, we suffer in light of resurrection hope. All that the world has to offer in light of personal suffering is either foolish optimism, it'll get better because it's gotta, right? Or stoicism, 
I'm going to grin, I'm going to bear it, and I'm going to muscle through. Or I guess you could give up too. That's really all the world has to offer, right? But we have resurrection hope that says our suffering has purpose. And in the midst of our suffering, our goal becomes not to escape that suffering or to wait until it's done, but to suffer well in light of the gospel. To suffer in a way that testifies to the sustaining grace and mercy of Christ Jesus. As the apostles were burdened to the point of despair, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1. To the point where they despaired of life itself. That was to make them what? To make them hope, not in themselves, but in God who raises the dead. Right? To testify to that resurrection reality. Not only that, friends, but the cross gives us real power to face suffering. And to help others face suffering. All the world can offer in bearing one another's burdens is empathy. You will find people in this world who do not follow Christ, who do not believe in God, who reject God and suppress the truth, who are willing to suffer with others. Right? They're willing to lean into suffering. But what do they have to offer? Just empathy. Just, I'm here with you and I care. And that's nice, and that's comforting. But friends, that's not the words of life. We have so much more to offer in the midst of shared suffering. We have the words of truth, the words of life that show us Christ and resurrection hope and meaning and purpose in our suffering and the reality that these light momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. We have that hope to offer. And... We have the hope of our shared confession. It says, you know what? If you're struggling to believe this is true, I believe it's true. Lean on me. That's what we're called to do. We're called to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, unashamed as witnesses of the gospel. I want to leave us this morning with a final example of the way we suffer for the sake of the gospel and what it looks like to share in that suffering as an unashamed gospel witness. Think for a minute with me about Paul writing this letter to Timothy. We said last week he's writing from a Roman prison, bound in chains, in the darkness. And he's feeling a profound sense of loneliness. Listen to some of the things he says. 2 Timothy 1.4 As I remember your tears, Timothy... I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Second Timothy 1.15 You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. All in Asia, all those I discipled and worked hard to bring to Christ have turned away from me. Second Timothy 4 verse 10 Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Those men were probably deployed for the sake of the gospel, not deserting Paul, but still gone. Luke alone is with me. Or look at chapter 4, verse 15. Excuse me, verse 16. At my first defense... When I was on trial, 
No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Paul is writing this letter from a profound place of loneliness. As people have been deployed for the gospel, and as others have deserted him because of the gospel, he has had to say many goodbyes for the sake of the gospel. And if you've ever had to do that, and I'm sure many of you have, if you've ever had to say goodbye because of the gospel, then you know that kind of shared suffering for the sake of the gospel. And Paul is saying, this is what I'm experiencing. And now look at what he records in chapter 2, verses 16 and following. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Even in the dark dungeon in prison, he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. In other words, Paul is saying, friends, I was lonely, deserted, awaiting execution. And Onesiphorus heard of it. And as a fellow saint who wanted to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, he was not ashamed of my chains, but he searched for me in Rome, inquiring, asking, where's Paul, this prisoner, and found me and was not ashamed of my chains, not ashamed of the stink of the dungeon, but came down and encouraged me. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. That's what it looks like. To share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, unashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of his prisoners. May we all be like Onesiphorus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, these are heavy things to talk about shame and suffering, but they are made light by the cross. They are made less burdensome because Christ himself carries our burdens. So I ask you, Lord, that you would help us meditate on these things. Think seriously about how we can see our temptation towards shame and our suffering in light of the cross. Help us be like Onesiphorus and not be ashamed but to seek out and encourage and share in the suffering of the saints and to seek out opportunities to not run from suffering, but to embrace it because you have embraced us in Christ. Would you help us do that even now as we together come to your table? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.